Hey everyone, and welcome to the Rising Stars podcast, conversations with retail technology leaders. I am Brianna Moriarty, Partner Development Manager and host of the podcast at Star Micronics. Um, We're super excited to be bringing the first episode to the channel. This is something we've been wanting to do for a while, so we're really excited um, to launch this podcast, allowing you know listeners to learn about the emerging markets and trends and new technologies in the channel through an informal and very easy to understand platform. And we'd like to welcome our first guest, John Levin. John is our Director of Product Management at Star Micronics. He's supporting software partners that are driving the future of point of sale and is extremely passionate about the future of retail and dining experience. He thrives on putting together software solutions and hardware to enable that future. So welcome, John. It's great to have you. Thanks, Brianna. Thanks for having me. Yeah, absolutely. So would you mind kind of getting started by telling us about your background at Star Micronics and what kind of, you know, drove you to get into the industry? Yeah. So gosh, I've been with Star for about 14 years now. Mm -hmm. Um, When I started, I mean, it's kind of a happy accident how I ended up uh, where I am today in in this side of our business. When I started with Star for about the first three years, I was working for a totally different division of Star. So my background's in physics and and engineering. Uh, And I started with our audio component division, which is no longer around. So, you know, I was a sales engineer and salesperson there. Uh, As we were kind of winding down that division of the company, um, they moved me over to to our point of sale printer division, what we call our systems systems group. and so, yeah, I, I kind of uh, thought, wow, okay, printers, software, I, <laughs> I, I had a bit of a learning curve, I guess we'll say. Sure. Um, yeah. So, yeah, it's been about 11 years since I've been working, uh, you know, with our printers and other point of sale products. Um, you know, they, they, I started really that we didn't have um, much of a, what we call now our integration team. Um, there were some people kind of working to support our software partners as, you know, one aspect of their roles, but it wasn't really a, a dedicated role and certainly not a, a dedicated team, um, but was was kind of just a, a fortunate timing thing for, for me and for Star was that when I started in that role was really when the whole MPOS craze was starting, um, right. you know, that the, the iPad had just come out and Android tablets were, were becoming popular in the market. And, you know, we didn't know it at the time, but really the whole point of sale software landscape was about to, to change dramatically. Mm-hmm. So I got to start right at the very beginning of that and working with a lot of those very first, um, you know, iPad and Android uh, point of sale ISVs making the, the leading solutions in in that segment of the market and and watch all those companies grow up into multi-million maybe even billion dollar companies that they are today which is uh, it's been a really exciting journey from that that that's awesome yeah would you say that the mpaz kind of revolution was what kind of started or what triggered star to create that integration team and build it up to what it is today yeah, uh, that's 100% accurate. We, when you think about it, before tablet point of sale, you were talking kind of PC, Mac, Linux software. And in most of those cases, you're, you're 
using a, a printer driver to print. You know, those Windows has a very sophisticated printing system just built into the operating system. You load your star printer driver and your printer just works. Right. Um, you know, so that was mostly how people were, were printing back then. Um, and it, of course, it was very important to work with, with software companies, companies, make sure our, our printers were certified with their software. But once you start having the mobile point of sale applications, the, the iOS and Android ones, you had to, the, the point of sale developers had to take printer code, code for a printer or an SDK and build that into their application. And mm -hmm. if they didn't do that, your printer or other point of sale hardware just doesn't work with that software. Right. So it went from becoming important to, to work with ISVs and, and have good relationships and certify to being absolutely mission critical, um, you know, kind of an existential thing. So yeah, that, that really accelerated the need for us to have a, a really dedicated team focusing on supporting our ISV partners. Yeah, yeah, for sure. So you've been with Star for a while. Um, you've kind of shifted some roles. How long would you say you've been working directly with the ISVs? And what do those relationships look like? Yeah, I, I had to look at my own LinkedIn profile to, to remember. <laughs> it's been a while. Um, but I, I came to, I think, 11 years I've been working with with our ISV partners. Wow. Um, and it, it's yeah, it's been really exciting to work with these companies because you know, I kind of, as I kind of alluded to, that they're really the center of, of the point of sale world now. Um, mm -hmm. they, they really dictate everything um, and have the, the main relationship with the end users. So my relationship with the ISVs, I, I kind of think of myself as a bit of a, a technology consultant. So, you know, typically I'll, I'll start a relationship with a, an ISV or re-engage with someone we've worked with in the past. And, you know, I'll start with just a phone call, just a, a really a, a, a consultation um, to understand what they're trying to do and how we can help. Mm -hmm. uh, so a lot of, you know, a lot of the job is, is really trying to understand the needs of our ISVs um, and how that relates to point of sale hardware uh, in a lot of the tools that we've developed for that. Um, and then really it's, it's kind of because, you know, in, in many cases, we're that first introduction that an ISV has into into the star world, um, mm -hmm. we're kind of an introduction to the, to the stars channel. You know, many of these ISV, especially the startups just aren't, these aren't your, your, your typical ISVs that have been in the VAR channel for, for decades, right? These are right. new companies that are focused on software and aren't really necessarily thinking about the channel or, or have any idea, you know, who the point of sale distributors are and, and things like that. So, you know, we'll start those conversations to just help introduce that ISV into the star world, uh, not just about printers and point of sale hardware and SDKs and drivers and all the techie kind of stuff that's our specialty, but really show them um, the whole value we can provide. Um, and of course, uh, the Empower program, our partnership program, all the, the value that provides and the, and the tools that are available uh, to mm -hmm. these ISVs. So especially the, um, the younger ISVs and the startups, they, right. they just have no idea and it's such a value to them. So we try and be that kind of ambassador mm -hmm. uh, to, to the channel in a way. Yeah, I see that a lot on my end too. I think a lot of the, the newer startup ISVs kind of come into the channel not knowing, you know, the, the depth of it. Um, 
you know, from the distributor side to the bars and, you know, working together with your vendors, there's so much involved. Um, so I guess with that said, some of either the smaller ISVs or really anyone, what would you say is the number one mistake that you see ISVs making when they try to enter into the POS space? You know, I, I've seen this over and over again, um, especially in kind of a, a tech boom. Um, and, and I mean that in, in kind of, we'll take the, the MPOS uh, wave, for example. Um, you know, in the last, gosh, decade now, almost decade, right, that every, everyone's been talking about tablet point of sale and mobile devices and mobile point of sale, now cloud and things like that. Um, you, you just, you see a lot of people jump on the bandwagon and a lot of Me Too products. So, you know, I, I think where people fail is they, they, aren't, they aren't focused or they aren't listening to their market or their segment of the market. Um, maybe it's their, you know, if they're kind of focused on a local region or a very specific uh, or specific parts of the market, micro verticals. Mm -hmm. um, and, and the specific needs of those verticals, that's where people kind of fail, where they try and just do the, the shotgun approach, like, oh, I can build a, a point of sale iPad app and people like iPad, so they're gonna buy it and they're gonna right. use it. You, you really need to focus on, on what your customer base or your target customer base really needs. What are the problems they have? with what's out there today, you know, what are they complaining about? What, what pain points do they have? And, you know, as an ISV, how are you going to solve those pain points, regardless of, of what technology or devices or platforms that you're going to use? Um, start with the pain points first, start with the customer first, and then build your solution around that. And that's where I've seen people be successful versus people that, you know, kind of languish in the market or just never really take off. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, from your perspective, I know you mentioned, you know, focusing on those niche markets and, you know, really drilling in on specific pain points, but what are some of the other things that ISVs can do to kind of overcome these problems and not just continue creating the the me too? Like I, I, well, this works for this guy. So let me create the same thing and see if, you know, customers will come to me instead. What, what can they do to kind of break that cycle? Yeah. So, I mean, of course you have to start with the research and knowing your market, right? If you want to go into quick serve or, you know, dry cleaning or whatever your vertical is or where you think there's an opportunity, you need to know that market. You need to have people on your staff with um, experience in that market. You, you can't just fake it. You, you've got to really understand the market. Um, but then you need to take a bigger picture view, I think. So what I see a lot, you know, uh, with ISPs, especially, you know, people starting up into the business is they, they're just so focused myopically on, on software. We have to have these features in, in this, this stack. Um, but that's just a part of the customer's experience, right? The customer isn't just buying a software, right? They're buying a solution, technology solution for their, their restaurant or their, their retail store. Mm -hmm. um, and, and the ISV has to think in that perspective. They need to think about uh, the hardware. You know, for a lot of ISVs developing a new solution, hardware is kind of a bit of an afterthought. 
many yeah, times, okay. right? They think software first. Okay, then I'll figure out printers and scanners and what kind of device it's going to go on besides, you know, specifically an iPad or an Android or something. They think about that later. Um, that's part of their offering. They need to really think about how, what they're going to offer. Um, they need to think about, you know, are they going to offer it directly to the customer? Are they going to sell that hardware? If not, where is the customer going to get it? Are they just going to say, buy this, this, and this? And then the customer just goes on the internet and tries to find it for as cheap as they can, maybe buys the wrong thing, has a bad experience. At the end of the day, that, that bad experience ends up reflecting poorly on, on the ISV, right? Yeah. You know, so the ISVs really need to think about what their customer experience is, not just with their software, but as the, the solution as a whole. They, you know, a lot of times something that's a bit of an afterthought as well is is the ISV's strategy, go-to-market strategy, mm -hmm. um, not just around hardware and the whole solution, but who am I chasing? How am I going to promote this to, to my target customer base? Um, am I going to work with resellers to offer this solution on my behalf? Am I going to have a fully direct model? Am I going to have a mix of both? And what is that going to look like? So I'm not, you know, angering my resellers by stealing customers from them. Right. Again, you know, that, that can often be an afterthought for a lot of ISVs. They, they, you know, a lot of people tend to have a, a build it and they will come type approach, mm -hmm. um, but you really need to take that big picture view and think about how am I going to offer this to the market? Um, how am I going to market it? All of those things. Mm -hmm. um, you know, they, they, you put a lot of investment dollars into building a great solution. Absolutely. Uh, it's a shame when it gets to the, the finish line and then you just don't have the right strategy to, to promote it in the market. Yep. I couldn't agree more. All right, we're gonna take just a really quick break to talk about Starmicronics antimicrobial covers. If you're like me, you've been avoiding touching dirty bathroom door handles well before the pandemic started. Well, tell your elbows they can relax because antimicrobial covers are here. Distributed by Star, the antimicrobial covers reduce germ transfer on high touch services like door handles, checkout counters, elevator buttons, and more. Ideal for nearly any business type, antimicrobial covers are easy to apply, safe to use, and build customer confidence. Give your elbows a break and visit starmicronics.com slash AMC to learn more or contact your distributor of choice to purchase today. All right, John. So we kind of talked about the mistakes that ISVs made, kind of, you know, where they might go wrong or miss the mark in launching a product into the channel and, you know, kind of things that are often overlooked, like hardware support and stuff like that. Um, but, I mean, you've been working with, ISVs for a long time. So some of the ISVs that are considered really big players in the channel today, like, you know, Lightspeed or Touch Bistro, Appetize, you've kind of been working with them from the, from the start. So what do ISVs like these have in common and what do you see that they're doing right to kind of build themselves to where they are today? Uh, you know, a, a lot of it has to do with with luck and, and being at the right place at the right time and, and having the right solution. So you can never discount that, but yeah, I mean, they're good examples. Um, you know, it doesn't always work that this way, but you know, they're, they're good solid companies that are, um, that are having success. Right. So, mm -hmm. you know, I, like you said, I, I've worked with a lot of these companies since, since the very start or, or very early on. 
and you start to notice things about just the company in general, a really good corporate culture and things like that really has a, a great impact. You know, with a lot of these companies that have had success, just every time you, you work with people at that company, you walk away thinking, wow, these, these are talented, you know, these are great people, a great team, yeah. great culture. Um, that has a big impact, you know, having a, just a good, strong company, um, allows you to attract the right talent and, and focus on, on growth and, and really the big picture rather than just developing a cool product or something like that. Mm-hmm. Um, so, you know, the, the companies that, that really blew up and had great success, they were strong companies, good cultures. Um, they had a good strategy from the beginning. Yeah. Um, it, you know, it wasn't all just about let's get customers, get customers, growth, growth, growth. Mm-hmm. It was delivering the right solution, a good long-term uh, strategy rather than just the short-term um, trying to survive, trying to just get, you know, pay the next bill or, or, or whatever. So, I, you know, I think there's not really necessarily a magic uh, formula for, for mm-hmm. going from startup to super successful company, right? You know, as we know, most companies are going to fail along the way. And I've seen a lot of companies that, although they never reached that big public company superstar status, they develop just a really good core following, a nice growth, and they just end up being one of those um, reliable, stable, uh, kind of mid-tier mm-hmm. ISV players. Um, yeah. And there's a lot of room in them. You know, probably most of the market should be that, right? It's, it's people developing teams, developing good solutions for a specific portion of the market. I see a lot of um, ISVs developing modern solutions that, you know, we work with them from a very startup level, but maybe their, their core market or their focus is golf courses or something else, you know, right? Just some, um, what can be a very big portion of the market, but they're not trying to go super, super broad. They're just focusing um, and, you know, they have a mission, they have a focus, they have a long-term strategy and they're sticking to that and delivering on that strategy. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and those are the things, you know, you, you see a lot of the, the, the big companies that, that end up crashing and burning. It's just because they don't, they don't have the right leadership. They don't have the right strategy. They're, they're too short-term focused. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, it's things like that, that really make or break companies. Right. Yeah. I have a couple of follow-up questions to that actually. So, I mean, the long-term plan, what do you think is, what do you think goes into that? I think so many companies, and and this is probably with anyone and not even just business, everyday life, you, you hit one goal and you just want to go for the next and the next and keep growing bigger and bigger. So how does one, you know, put in that long-term strategy and have patience through that is kind of number one. And two, you know, you, you mentioned golf courses, for example. I mean, I, I think that golf courses, is a, is a, it's a pretty big market, but for a, another niche market, you know, there, there might feel like there's that plateau stage and you have to go to the next market and then the next, and then the next. So how do you kind of rein that in and, you know, decide this is what we do and we're going to stick to it. Again, it's, it's having that strong leadership and that mission um, because you, you're right. You know, I've seen a lot of companies where they, they just jump from problem to problem or customer to customer and, and 
you know, okay, they switched their, their entire engineering focus to, to build solutions for that particular wind. And then they hop around, and they, but they're not on a, on a long-term plan or a long-term strategy. Mm-hmm. So of course there's a balance, right? You just can't, you know, set your strategy and lock into it and ignore everything else, right? You have to be nimble. You have to be able to adapt. Um, but you do have to have that strategy and you have to have the guts to, to trust it and to stick to it. Um, so you, you have to have that, that blend of being, being agile, being nimble, um, but also sticking to your strategy and saying, we see that there's a problem or there's an opportunity in this um, market. Mm-hmm. We're going to go after that. We see there's an opportunity, you know, there's, there's business there. If we can successfully attack this particular market or segment of the market, we can be successful. Here's what we need to do to get there stay on that path. Um, and then if it's really not working, of course you, you have to pivot, but uh, right. a lot of companies lose their nerve and and try and pivot too early or, or don't stick with it and build a, you know, a solution. And a lot of companies that, you know, whether it's because of the investment in the company, you know, or, or, or whatever, whatever kind of external pressures they're getting, mm-hmm. sometimes that's unavoidable. Um, but there's companies that are too focused on growth at any cost, right? Yeah. They're not focused. They're, they just want to get users. Um, and, and, you know, that isn't always a recipe for success. You know, it, mm-hmm. it's perfectly okay to be a company that doesn't become a multi-billion dollar public company, mm-hmm. but you've got a successful business focused on your segment of the market. You know, that that's, Great. You know, I've seen a lot of companies that um, are not huge companies, but they're bootstrapped, you know, all self-funded and they're in their segment of the market. They're profitable. They're, they've got nice controlled growth um, and they, they aren't necessarily having all the external pressures from investors and things like that, mm-hmm. um, you know, pushing them into directions where it's just isn't their core expertise or, or what have you. Yeah. So, you know, but of course, there's the place for that too. I'm not knocking uh, investment and <laughs> in, in growth and anything like that. Um, but you just have to know what kind of company you are, what kind of company you want to be, um, and have the guts to to stick to that path. Yeah, I think that's really great advice, and probably one that people don't hear that often. I think it's you know usually as a startup, you're just constantly on to goal number two before you conquer goal number one, and slowing down and really focusing on what the overall goal is and what kind of company um, or solution you want to provide is definitely really important. So I also know that you're very interested and passionate about the emerging um, trends in the market, how the future of retail and hospitality are going to look. What are some of the trends that you're seeing now and how do you see ISVs responding to that? Yeah. So, you know, it's interesting. There's a lot of trends, right, in the market that I've been following for a long time now. Things like um, the move to omni-channel, cloud, uh, the, the more big data and kind of the more personalized um, targeting of promotion, marketing, um, loyalty, things like that to the individual, uh, the, the e-com, everything. What I've seen is, you know, throughout this pandemic, so the last, what, year, year and a half, mm-hmm. everything, it's all those same trends just got accelerated by five to 10 years. Right. Yeah. Um, so 
you know, I, all the same trends about making, meeting the, the customer, the shopper where they are, um, having a seamless experience for, uh, you know, am I shopping online for my device at home? Am I in the store? Am I whatever? Mm -hmm. Um, the, the more seamless that can be, the more, uh, seamless the transaction is. So, you know, as, as stores are kind of coming out of the pandemic and, and many stores are reinventing themselves or, you know, unfortunately didn't make it through and, and will be rebirthed into something new. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, I, I think stores are going to, that, that trend towards brick and mortar being more uh, experiential uh, based than, than just basically a little warehouse where you can go grab something, take it up to the cash wrap at the back of the store and purchase it. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, I think that trend away from that just got accelerated to, yeah. you know, store as more experience, um, still potential, uh, you know, local inventory. That's still a very valuable thing. Mm-hmm. Um, because we know all the the e-com and everyone has always struggled with that kind of last mile, right? So if you have local inventory, that's powerful, that's valuable, Um, you know, especially for mom and pop stores, which is, you know, a lot of our world. Um, But I I just think a lot of those trends, so removing the the transaction, making that as seamless or invisible to the customer as possible Mm -hmm. uh, is immensely valuable. Um, Blending the experiences of uh, of the online world with the in-store world with the mobile world all of that happening um just became more and more important and not just for big chains but for mom and pop stores as well mm-hmm. um, but the good news is you know what i've seen throughout the pandemic is a lot of isvs really pivot to a more omni-channel perspective because they had to you know right. their customer base wasn't going to survive the pandemic if they couldn't deliver that and therefore the isv wasn't going to survive the pandemic if they didn't deliver that so you know i think even in the mom and pop world uh, smb world the that has become that omni-channel perspective has become much more comfortable and has already been implemented to some degree and, and that will mature and grow um, and just become the norm. So I think from that perspective, it's it's kind of a very positive thing um, yeah. as, as the world kind of reopens post-pandemic. Mm-hmm. What, let's talk about restaurants. So, I mean, restaurants are kind of following the same thing and they have been more on the omni-channel train pretty much, you know, before retail. And you and I kind of talked about this the other day pretty much every restaurant going forward is going to need online ordering. They're going to need some sort of online ordering system. Do you think that at some point there's going to be a plateau? I mean, we see kind of the leaders in that space, DoorDash, Uber Eats, um, Grubhub, Postmates, but we also see a lot of the smaller guys developing their own online ordering. So, I mean, the question is kind of twofold. One, how do you think that they are going to sell their product, um, the smaller guys, to compete with large third parties? And two, how do you think that the market's going to eventually consolidate? Yeah, you know, it's kind of interesting. I make a parallel between what's going on online ordering, especially accelerated by the pandemic, versus what was happening six, five, six, seven years ago with mobile point of sale. Mm-hmm. Tablets came out, everyone and their brother was, was developing a tablet application. Yep. Um, the market was flooded with, with applications, but as naturally happens in a, in a market like that, 
the companies that weren't successful started going away. There was consolidation, all of that. Mm-hmm. Again, with online ordering accelerated by the pandemic, we saw a huge amount of, of different companies delivering some something for that, that market, something related to online ordering, curbside pickup, things like that. Um, you know, we're already seeing consolidation in that market. Um, you'll see some of the, the companies that aren't delivering something that differentiates enough go away. Mm-hmm. But I think there's there's a lot of room in the market. There are, I, I can't remember the statistic, but there are a lot of restaurants in, in US, North America, the world. Um, there's a, that's a big potential customer base. And as you said, really, you need to have some sort of um, online ordering delivery pickup solution to, to exist as a restaurant in the modern world, unless you're just a very specialized, you know, kind of restaurant, but certainly now during the pandemic, it's, it's a must. Um, so it's a, it's a big market. I think there's room for different types of companies in that market. So what I see now is of course you have the big platforms and they're great because it's a great way to discover a restaurant, right? You know, I order on, um, DoorDash or Grubhub or, or Uber Eats. Now I can find restaurants that I might not have known about or thought about, um, which is great. That's good for the restaurant. That's, that's good for me as the consumer. Uh, I like that. Um, but there, you know, there's there's different online ordering companies uh, with with different perspectives, right? You think of like a company like Chow now that that charges a restaurant a monthly fee, and that's kind of their their online ordering service. Mm-hmm. Um, there's all sorts of, of uh, different angles that these online ordering companies are are attacking the market with. I think that's great. So I think there's plenty of room in the market for different types of companies with different types of strategies to exist. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, naturally you'll see some winning strategies and some losing strategies and that's natural and fine. Um, I'm also seeing a lot of, uh, localization, which is interesting. I'm, I'm kind of interested to see how that plays out. Yeah. Have a lot of players, um, that just focus in on their local market, you mm-hmm. know, whether it's somewhere a bit remote that just isn't well served by the, the big platforms yet. Mm-hmm. Um, or, or maybe they're just focused on one big city and, and that's enough for them to survive. So I think there's a lot of room for different strategies in the market, but just like we saw with MPOS, you're going to see a lot of consolidation. You're going to, we'll see that the amount of, of companies serving that market decrease over time naturally. And that's mm-hmm. normal and, and to be expected. And it's yet to see who the winners and losers will be. It'll be interesting to, to follow. Yeah. Um, and I guess to kind of wrap it up, there's been, you know, not only consolidation in the online ordering, but we see it just generally in the point of sale market, ISVs being bought up by, you know, either payment companies or large bars. Um, so with that, what do you think the future of the ISV is going to look like? Do you think that's going to just be part of the norm, creating a software and hopefully building it up until they get bought or... Um, you know, continuing to stand on their own. It's going to be a mix. And it's always been that way. Um, yeah. You see waves of, of kind of technology booms, right? The most recent, well, the, the current one for us is online ordering kind of as, a, as a, a wave of where I see just a lot of new ISVs targeting that. The previous one was MPOS and we're still kind of in that a little bit, um, but we're seeing huge amounts of consolidation in that 
segment of the market or that technology, I should say. Um, but we've seen it before and, you know, even before our times in the, in the industry um, where, you know, they're in the, the, the PC boom, you know, there was a lot of new uh, point of sale software companies targeting small businesses that would run on a PC and, um, you know, and then they started getting some were successful, some weren't, they got gobbled up by the bigger guys. And, and so, you know, that's a, a normal pattern in, in the market. I think we'll still see some of that. Of course, some startups, you know, that's a, that's a great exit for them is, is being bought by someone bigger or, or right. going public. Um, you know, but some of them I talk to a lot of ISVs where they just have no interest. They're, they are very happy to continue running their business. Um, you know, some of them have big dreams in and of themselves to, to go public one day or, um, or, or be, become the big fish on their own. And some of them are just happy to, to exist in their part of the market and, and run a, you know, successful, smaller, medium sized business. Um, and, and not worry about being bought out, but yeah, you'll, you'll see all of it. <laughs> For sure. I bet. All right. Well, this has been awesome. Thank you so much, John. I learned a lot. I hope everyone else did too. Um, any kind of final tips for our listeners before we wrap it up? Just focus on your customer, focus on their needs. That's uh, in the end of the day, that's what's going to determine success or failure. All right. Well, thank you everyone for listening to our very first episode. You can find John on LinkedIn if you'd like to connect with him and pick his brain a little bit more about um, ISV tips and tricks, anything you need to know about ISVs. He is your guy. Um, for Star Micronics, you can go to starmicronics.com or follow us on Facebook, LinkedIn, Twitter, YouTube, or Instagram. Thanks, everyone.